Currency Press is Australia's foremost publisher of the performing arts. We've been sharing Australian stories since 1971, and with those stories, we've also shared insights, ideas, and critiques. We think of them as the stories about stories, the stories behind stories, preparing us for the journey we're about to undertake. Hello, I'm Toby Leon, and this is Not In Print. Today, Eamon Flack is going to read his introduction to The Seed by Kate Mulvaney. It's called The Making of a Great Play, and this is something Eamon knows a lot about. He has worked extensively in theatre companies around the country. He's a writer and director, currently the artistic associate at Belvoir, and he has been at the helm of many successful productions. Currency Press has also published one of his plays, an adaptation of Sophocles' Antigone. Here's Eamon reading The Making of a Great Play, which he wrote in 2008. When Kate Mulvaney was 20-something, living in Sydney and acting and writing plays, she decided it was time to piece together the story of her family. She began to write a novel. Kate's from Geraldton on the coast of Western Australia. If you haven't been there, you might know a bit about it from reading Tim Winton's novels. It's a long, dry coast. In summertime, weeks can pass with barely a single cloud in the sky. The beaches are often surfless, the sea can be incredibly calm and clear and somehow seem unusually wide. Instead of a mountainous hinterland, you step off the dunes onto baked desert and low, rocky scrubland. Every now and then, along the length of the coast, sometimes hundreds of kilometres apart, there's a small seaside town, humble and quiet, though maybe seething underneath. Tim Winton often peoples these towns with squinty-eyed thinkers, churning up inside and peering out at the world for a bit of sense. They're usually fleeing in one direction or another, either setting up a new life on the coast or gathering up enough old life to get out and begin somewhere else. There's a lot of solitary looking for peace out on the sea in Winton's work, skimming along in boats, fishing, swimming. This was the place Kate grew up, and it was the poetic world of her planned novel, She worked away at it for months, struggling to make something from the stories she'd heard as a kid and feeling in the gaps from her imagination. She got down pages and pages, but then her laptop was stolen and with it went the novel. All that survived were a few scraps about crayfishing with a dad. She didn't have the heart to reconstruct it and decided to let it slide. Maybe one day she'd come back to it. Besides, by then, her career as an actor was taking off. Kate's a theatre animal. She was one of a small army of actors and techies who started out at Curtin Uni in Perth doing a bit of everything, writing, directing, acting, rigging lights, building sets, selling tickets. Many of them have come east in the last 10 years and they've been a distinctly playful and humble presence in Sydney's theatres, both on stage and backstage. Kate's stage presence is a mix of brawn, warmth and understated elegance. Her eyes can twinkle, she has a tireless sense of humour. But she also has that vulnerable Winton-esque squint, taking a good hard look at the world outside at the same time as sorting through the mire of thoughts inside. There's a good-humoured roguery about the way she tackles a role. She has an inner musketeer, hands on hips, head thrown back, ready to take on the world. One of those trademark weapons in Kate's stage armoury is a wrinkled nose and a delighted foghorn scoff at the stupidities of life. She seems to find our Australian capacity for idiocy ridiculous and fascinatingly funny. And underpinning all her work on stage is a palpable sense of goodwill towards humanity, 
even the idiots. These qualities have been given plenty of time and space to come alive over ten odd years of acting and rehearsing, often back to back. It's a pretty fantastic education for a playwright to have Kate's acting career. And she kept writing the whole time, nine produced plays at last count, both professionally and in the indie scene. They include Embalmer, the musical, based on her experiences working in a funeral home in Perth, and The Danger Age, a coming-of-age story about life, race and national destiny set in Calbarry. It was The Danger Age which got Kate shortlisted for the Philip Parsons Young Playwrights Award in 2004. Philip Parsons was the co-founder of Currency Press back in 1971 and one of Australian drama's great champions. The New South Wales Ministry for the Arts set up the award after his death in 1993. From 2003 to 2010, it was in the hands of Belvoir's B-Sharp program, a curated season of independent theatre in the Downstairs Theatre at Belvoir. B-Sharp doubled the prize money and turned it into a commission. The judging process goes like this. Any New South Wales-based writer under 35 can submit a play that has been produced in the previous year. Belvoir announces a shortlist from these submissions and asks the shortlisted writers what they most want to write. The award is given to the most exciting project. So instead of being a prize for an existing work, the Parsons Award requires the winner to write a new play. It's a bit unorthodox, but the joy of it is that it funds new work and gives it a home to find its feet. When Kate got shortlisted, she was in country New South Wales on tour with Chris Harrell's production for Griffin of Deborah Oswald's Mr Bailey's Minder. Lynn Wallace, then director of B-Sharp, rang and asked Kate what she'd most like to write for Belvoir. The brief was to think big, not to be limited by cast, size or scale, and get back to Lynn with a pitch and a few sample scenes. She had two weeks. Put on the spot, inspired by the chance to think big, a rare opportunity for Australian playwrights today. Kate's mind drifted back to the abandoned novel. Her friend, Nick Enright, one of the great midwives of Australian theatrical talent, had read the surviving scraps about crayfishing and said there was a play in there. At the time, Kate was too stung by a loss to take up the idea, but now the moment seemed right. She reworked the passages about crayfishing and sent them off. A few weeks later, David Hare delivered the annual Parsons Lecture at Belvoir Street Theatre. It was entitled Why Fabulate? At the end of it, he presented Kate with the 2004 Philip Parsons Young Playwrights Award. So Kate tucked herself away and fabulated a draft. Then, egged on by Belvoir's literary manager, Anthony Way, she refabulated and refabulated and refabulated. Two years later, I followed Anthony into the literary manager job and Kate sent me draft four of The Seed. There's a strange kind of life cycle to a good play that's hard to describe. You want a play to perform for you. You need to be able to imagine it doing its thing. And if it can't find its motion pretty quickly after the writing begins, there's a good chance it never will. Draft four had dance. What had begun as an epic spread across decades and continents now took place in a single town in the UK on a single evening with three characters an Irishman, an Englishman and an Australian. And yes, it was funny, but it was also terribly moving. We talked it through, Kate did another draft, then three wonderful actors, Danny Adcock, Belinda Bromelow and Tony Phelan, did a reading in front of a small, invited audience. The applause at the end was big and heartfelt, but it was the talk in the pub that confirmed our hopes. Somehow... Kate had turned a troubled work in progress about a real family's knotted rope of stories 
into a genuinely moving new Australian play with a need to be performed. Still wasn't finished, though. We asked Ian Sinclair to direct it downstairs as part of the 2007 B-sharp season. Ian has a great ear for new work and is a long-time collaborator of Kate's. He talked her through another few drafts before rehearsal began on the play in mid-2007. Danny Adcock, who had been such a force as Danny in the reading, went out of his way to stay with the seed in production. Martin Vaughan had played opposite Kate in the original season of Mr Bailey's Minder, and now she coaxed him out of retirement to play Brian. Ian's most cunning piece of casting was to convince Kate to play Rose. The show opened in the little three-sided downstairs theatre at Belvoir Street on a simple set, simply lit, an old couch and chair, dull carpet, a statue of Mary on a mantelpiece, and tattered 1970s wallpaper of Sherwood Forest. The performances were a revelation, loving and cruel, pitiless and delicate, and in the close-up of that space, achingly honest. The crayfishing story which began it all was still there and still is. In previous drafts, it had been an excerpt of Rose's writing which she read to her father. Now, recast as the framework of the play itself, it is, in a strange way, emotionally or mythically, the real event. Danny's bittersweet moment of peace out on the sea off his adopted homeland with his daughter Rose is his triumph. Her retelling of this moment is her triumph. It's also Kate's. The story of the seed really ends with the play itself. At interval on opening night, two lifelong hawk-eyed reviewers of Australian theatre, Catherine Brisbane and John McCallum, were overheard muttering excitedly to each other about a new work arriving on stage so ready for an audience. Catherine, the widow of Philip Parsons and the co-founder of Currency Press, is one of the most astute observers of the last half-century of Australian theatre. Like Kate, she's a West Australian. Seed is the first of the Parsons Award commissions to be published by the press Philip and Catherine founded, and also the first to be given a main stage season. So in hindsight, there was a quiet celebration of tradition and renewal at work that night. John McCallum hadn't come to the theatre intending to review the play, but when he saw it, he was moved to do so. He wrote in the Australian, Kate Mulvaney's story, her play about her story, and her performance in her play are extraordinarily powerful and moving. This is an important work that deserves a long life. The season that followed was a great success. After one performance later in the run, Neil Armfield overheard someone behind him saying, why isn't this on upstairs? And Neil thought, why indeed? The Seed became the first B-sharp production to make the move onto the Belvoir main stage. There's been another rewrite of the play since that first season, so the published edition has all the blessings a play could want. A long-simmering need to be told, a great writer with a vivid poetic world at her fingertips, and a robust sense of a stage in her body, a commissioning fee, a home at a theatre, a loving director and cast, a terrific first production and a second life on the main stage. I haven't said anything about what this play is about, I'd rather let it speak for itself. But it's nice to think of it as very Australian in spite of the fact it happens in Nottingham. The real backdrop of the play is that great wide sea off the coast of Geraldton, where a father and a daughter are trying to learn how to talk about their battles and about the way the past is still here. So this is a play for any two or more people, or any family, or any country, who haven't been able to have a really good talk about what's gone on in their past. 
Thank you for listening to this episode of Not in Print. We hope you enjoyed hearing more about this great Australian play. You can find out more about who we are and view our full catalogue at currencypress.com.au. And if you have any comments or questions about this episode or any other episode, we'd love to hear from you. Just search for Currency Press on Facebook or Twitter and drop us a line. This episode was produced by Currency Press, with the generous assistance of the Department of Performance Studies and the School of Letters, Art and Media at the University of Sydney.